This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations at Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Rest is Entertainment Questions Edition. Questions and Answers Edition. Um, I'm Richard Osman. I'm Marina Hyde. Hey Marina. Hello. I am over my jet lag now. I'm very pleased to hear you're over your jet lag. I think we should get straight into this. Can I say one thing, yeah. by the way? When I had that jet lag, I was thinking, oh, actually, I, might, I felt like I had a bit of a cold. And it made me think that thing of, if you're a quiz show presenter... No one's asked this question, but I'm going to answer it anyway. When you've got a cold, people think you're very, very ill. Because if you had a cold for three days, then actually on a TV show, that means 15 episodes. So they're like, my God, he has had a cold for a really, really long time. It's a chronic illness. It's a chronic illness. Anyway, that's what that made me think. Yes. But no one wrote that question. We got questions about literally everything else, but no one said what happens when a TV presenter gets a cold. Shall we start with this question from Craig Walker? Thank you so much, Craig. Why do you think sketch shows no longer exist? I grew up watching Goodness Gracious Me, The Fast Show, Smack the Pony, Sketch Show, etc. all 20 plus years ago. How and why did British comedy change to leave behind that legacy? Partly what it is, is a rather boring answer. And then it's become perhaps a slightly more interesting answer is that money it is so expensive to put these things on and the pool of money available for things like that has become smaller what has become bigger is stand-up is huge and Mm. people going into comedy might be going more towards the in the direction of stand-up because stand-up is so huge if you're making a sketch show what you need is little troops of people to build one of these shows around who are out there on the circuit and if they aren't there because they've gone in the direction of stand-up then you haven't necessarily got these people around whom you can build a show it's very expensive because you've got multiple multiple sets costumes people don't want to watch something where it almost looks like they're watching a sort of kind of cheap panto and they're just pulling on costumes to give you the basic idea of the character it takes a lot of time to do all of it And I suppose that's part of the reason it fell out of favour. Funnily enough, I did watch a show recently called something like Deep Fake Neighbour Wars, I think it is. And it's it's a really, it's a really like, it's dark. It's an AI sort of show. And there's a Neighbour Wars show, some strand, which I think is internationally sold as a format. And they put celebrities' faces onto these people and had them arguing. I have to say, I didn't like it, but... (laughs) I did think about halfway through, oh, I see, I'm watching a sketch show, which is something I haven't watched yeah. for a very long time. Money is, 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 of course, the answer. You get huge sets, costumes, and, and for a two-minute thing, whereas in a, a sitcom, you know, you use your sets over and over and over again. So it's it's very, very expensive to do. It's very difficult to write because writing 24 one-minute sketches 
takes longer than writing one 24-minute episode of a sitcom, certainly more expensive to film in a sketch show as well. By and large, everyone has equal billing, and so it's, qu- it's quite expensive as well because yeah. you've, got, you've got an awful lot of cast. But, yeah, two things. So look at Ghosts, and that's essentially a sketch troupe, you know, who grew up on Horrible Histories, yeah. which, by the way, is one of the best sketch shows of all time. They made one of the best sitcoms of the 21st century, one of the best ever British sitcoms, Ghosts, I think we can safely say now. And it comes out of the tradition of sketch comedy, which is broad characters, catchphrases, you know. And so I think people are going in that direction. But also in the world of YouTube and the other platforms, there's so many sketches out there now. There's so many great character stuff, so many amazing sketches. And I think probably the world of sketch shows is going to come back because it's going to get cheaper and cheaper to film. That will mean it will, there'll be less time between maybe reco- filming it and transmission because yeah. one of the great things about all these platforms is that things can be so immediate. You yeah. can write, you can make a funny sketch and someone can see it straight away. Now, this was, this never existed before. Yeah. We couldn't have this. And it's quite hard in lots of ways to keep being au courant, being funny, being about the thing that's just happened when yeah. it might not be aired for nine months after you shot it. Yeah, exactly that. And by the way, there is a brilliant sketch show on Netflix, which is uh, Tim Robinson's I Think You Should Leave, which is it's lunatic. Uh, so it, it wouldn't be for everybody, but it certainly it takes um, every initial premise of every sketch it does and absolutely grinds it to the f- absolute further outer limits of, of, of what you can do with comedy. Um, if you like it, you'll love it. If you don't like it, I would, after the first five minutes, you, you please feel free to switch it off. But yeah, it's it's as so often is the answer. It's it's economics and also you know that world. You know the the ones that Craig mentions there. Goodness gracious me, fast show that world of linear TV has, has, has sort of passed us by. Uh, but I think the future for sketches is very positive because it's, as you say, you can write it in the morning, film it in the afternoon, put it out in the evening. And, you, you know, you, you can't do that with a sitcom. I've got one for you. Richard Horn says, do you get to keep the prizes in Taskmaster that the contestants are brought in? Oh, that is a good question. By the way, Richard Horn. So little Alex's used, brother. He's, he's used my first name and little Alex Horn's surname. Yeah, I think that's a pseudonym. Um yeah, it's a, oh, we could probably do a deep dive on Taskmaster. Cause I, I would love about that, by the way. All the time. Perhaps we'll do a, um, an episode at, I'm at so some obsessed point with it. I want to, I, okay, I'd like to do that. It's a load of fun. I'll say that. It's uh, Well, you know what? I'm going to save a lot of this for the uh, for our special for our emergency podcast um, about Taskmaster. Um, if, if, I, if we do it, can I call it an emergency podcast? Otherwise, I'm not doing it. Don't negotiate with me on this thing. No, no, I'm taking my, I'm taking, no, I'm, no, we can't do it. Then. Okay, I'm going to talk about everything now then. Uh, you do not get to keep the prizes. There's such a lot of pressure on the prizes though, because, you know, they yeah. say beforehand, you know, what's the, I can't remember on mine, but you do think you genuinely want the points from Greg. And obviously, you know, he's got, he, he Greg has his, you know, he's very capricious and, you know, will do exactly what he wants. But you do, if you get one point, you, you kind of want to go, Your Honour. That was a, that was a really that you have to bring in your your favourite blue thing, right? Mm. On one of mine, and my son because this is his personality type, and, and an antique shop had bought a police riot helmet, right? He saw the police riot helmet. I say it's his personality; it's mine as well. Yeah. I I looked at it. I was like, hold on, and and my boy was like, uh, uh, can, sorry, can we actually buy that? I said, I think we can, and so he bought it, uh, and it was blue, and so I took it in, and I thought, well, this is to me. 
five points. That's, that's the best blue thing ever, especially as I said, and my son bought it. Um, yeah. So come on. And he went, well, that's getting one point. And my son was there. That was like the episode <laughs> he came to. I was like, whoa, that has actually, that has actually broken me, Greg. But uh, He I, is a hard taskmaster. I, that is quite simply. <laughs> he literally is. Yeah. We will go into much more detail on taskmaster. It's funny. I, I will say this. I said to Alex Horn recently, I was on a, my US book tour, and so many people in the queue asked about Taskmaster. Yeah. Did an event in uh, I think Nashville, one of the places, and you'd get all the questions afterwards. And um, a woman stood up, like the third question, just say, can I first say congratulations on how, how you did the yoga balls task in Taskmaster? And, ha- <laughs> and literally half of this big audience started in applauding. Nashville? Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. that's incredible. It was crazy. So yeah. I had that. And I just getting back from uh, a book tour in India, and it was the same. There were people there just going, by the way, can I just say, they, there's two shows they love everywhere in the world, Would I Lie to You and Taskmaster. What and a those, show. Those right. are the two okay. shows they say. But no, you, you do not get to, um, uh, because people put up their car or their kids or something. So it would be, <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff that, yeah, I might have won or lost. Yeah, I've seen bathroom suites. I've seen, yeah, there's a lot that, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, just can't sling it in the taxi. Or I mean, I, put, I think you have to have your best piece of celebrity memorabilia. And I, I put up a, one of my favourite things in the world, which is a Strongbow Cider promotional poster of Jockey Wilson that he signed. Honestly, if I'd lost that, I would have been devastated because yeah. it's hard to replace. It's up in my living room. It's, it's, it's one of my favourite things in the world. So, no, you are – fortunately, uh, you get to hold on to, to what you've got. But, yeah, so let's definitely do because people, people love Taskmaster. Maybe we'll get, like, Alex on or something. Well, they've got their own podcast, haven't they? So yeah. they, they probably wouldn't let us, but we'll give but it a go, eh? <laughs> yeah. We've never had a guest, have we? We've never had a guest. First one yeah. should be Alex Vaughan. Yeah, and, and the only guest. Just Yeah, just the only person we've ever had on the show before yeah. or since. Three times a week. We'll do the regular show on Tuesday. We'll do question and answer on Thursday, and we'll interview Alex Horn every Friday. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a question for you, Marina. This is also a very suspicious name. Dave Gorman asks, can't be the real Dave Gorman, can it? I hope it is. Yeah, he was let's pretend it is. Uh, he was on Taskmaster. Thanks, Dave, for your, uh, your question. Possibly the comedian asks, how does product placement work? I see it in a lot of shows. What can a show or film make from it? Well, there are a lot of rules on product placement in television. It's interesting in films and because of a thing, a show I'm working on, I ended up doing quite a lot of research on, you know, Marvel's product placement. And, I mean, they make huge amounts of money from it. Um, and sometimes they'll, like, leave a chiller cabinet blank and then you'll add the thing in post-production. Oh, that's cool. Because there's a sort of huge competition for what, you know, what's going to be in the chiller cabinet. And also certain movies have kind of established product placement that comes back each time. If you think of something like James Bond, you know, he's going to have a certain type of watch, he's going to have a car. He's got, he's got, he needs a car, He needs he, a car, he needs a car. He, listen, and when, he, can, he cannot rely on Uber. He cannot. He's a spy. But when the, the people, um, the, the cars are slightly different, obviously, because that's uh, extensive filming, those action sequences. But things like the watches, when the people come on set with the watch, or in any other film where they've got a, a sort of, certain, uh, Doctor Strange had a certain type of fancy watch, Five guys will come on set. It will be all chained to their briefcase, will be chained to their thing. And they'll make a really big thing about like checking the watches being lit in the right way that you can see. It's really wow. meticulously done. Uh, and as I say, it's big business. You make a lot of money from this. Um, but there are also things that are these kind of, I suppose you might call it sort of soft power product product mm. placement. So in Marvel, they've done a lot of work with the Pentagon. And there are certain movies that um, kind of effectively promote those kind of things. One thing that was quite interesting, this is just a side note, but I thought it was quite funny. At a certain point, the Pentagon stopped cooperating because they couldn't work out 
where S.H.I.E.L.D. would come in the hierarchy with the Pentagon and would the Pentagon technically... And I think they concluded that it seemed like the Pentagon might actually have to answer to S.H.I.E.L.D. And at that point, they were out. Wow. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? So there's quite a lot of that sort of thing. Sometimes they have huge sort of... uh, They say well, hang on, would this brand exist in Gotham City? And they will talk for a long time about whether they can have the product because they can. They, to some extent it's a, it's supposed to be a quite lifelike world, but obviously superheroes exist and although Batman, as we know, has not got any superpowers, he is a costumed vigilante. But mm. could, the, could this exist in Gotham City? Sometimes there are promotions just for foreign markets. So people will pay huge amounts to have their... There was a sort of... I think there was a... Was it a Japanese jewellery store, Chinese jewellery store? to allow themselves to be in the background of a shot or blown up in a shot in a Marvel movie, which was only in the whatever the China release was. or um, And that's something we must talk about on a future episode is how films get released in China, which is something that people really, really want. So anyway, that's just a little note to myself. But <laughs> there are many in different markets and sometimes they kind of get away with it. But in general, people will tolerate some, but they don't like it when it's being rammed down their throat. So you have to, there's a trade-off on the money. Yeah, and there's a fortune to be made. Yeah. I mean, an awful lot of money. It's like every time you ever see a TV show and they go, flew our contestants over to America and there'll always be a shot of an aeroplane. You think, yeah. well, they've, okay, that that's the aeroplane. You know, they've all got free flights, the whole crew, everyone's got free flights, or they'll show the kind of front of the hotel and you think, well, everyone's got a free hotel, so you can get payment in kind and things like that. The BBC find it much, much, much harder um, because you can't have product placement at all on the BBC, even to the extent that you know, you'll watch you know, a, a cookery show and they'll say, do you know what the absolute secret to a shepherd's pie is? I put um, yeast extract in there. Yeah. And that's because someone has just said, I put Marmite in there. And they said, I'm really sorry, we can't say Marmite, you have to say yeast ex- extract. Or they go, When clothing, which is constantly mm, has blurred. to be completely plain or pixelated yeah. at the tiniest logo. Yeah, if you, ever, if you ever come as a contestant on a TV show and you have to bring along all your stuff, you cannot have anything that has, you know, you couldn't even have like a little uh, Adidas logo. You couldn't even have the three stripes. Yeah. You can't have anything at all like that. You also can't have anything, yeah, that's going to clash with the background. It's almost impossible to wear. That's why everyone on, on quiz shows sort of wear pastel shirts. That's like every man ever on a TV show has got a short sleeve pastel shirt. because Which he's never worn before or since. Yeah, exactly. Unless they win. This is the shirt, yeah. I, then it becomes yeah. the lucky shirt. Which is, exactly. <laughs> but they've literally picked it up from MS like, on the way or, or, or <laughs> wardrobe just has like a just ra- rails and rails of, uh, of of pastel shirts for men that don't clash with the background of the set that don't have busy checks on them or anything like that so the BBC find it harder you know they'll say oh we're making our version of an ice cream dessert you go that's a Vionetta <laughs> I'm sorry yeah. that is not we all know that's a Vionetta so yeah any anything that's um, a name you, you can't say at all on the BBC but now you know companies are making whole shows Marks and Spencer's have got inside Marks and Spencer they've got lots of different things and there's a limit to even on Channel 4 or, or, or 5 or ITV there's a limit to how many times you can mention a product and if you've mentioned it three times you then have to sort of start describing it as something else so with that you could say Marmite a couple of times but from then on we got our, our old friend yeast extract yeast extract but, I mean, in, the, in the spirit of this I'm going to make, make a quick little bit of housekeeping which was that last week when we were talking about Channel 4 we said that ITV and Channel 5 didn't have public service obligations they do of course what I meant was that they are not publicly funded yeah. um, so we just let, let us correct that we wish not to be a yeast extract to people this year exactly and if I can also add something I just say I'm really enjoying my PG tips it is so refreshing isn't it mm-hmm. not even not even sponsored you've done that for free 
Although we're available to be, you know, if Yorkshire Tea want to come and make a counter offer. Can they, Yorkshire Tea seem to, Yorkshire Tea are just, I'm mad on the socials. They sponsor everything or they get involved in everything. They get involved in every fight, beef, whatever. Yeah, yeah they should. They had that brilliant one where the guy was furious when he discovered that the tea wasn't from Yorkshire. He said, come from India. He said, come on. And they were like, okay, I don't know what to tell you about tea. But yeah, listen, get in touch, Yorkshire Tea. So that's product placement. Oh, here's a good one. Richard. Fraser Webster says, I love your podcast and both of you. But that's, a good, that's a good way to start, that's a great, isn't it? Yeah. That's, if you want your question read out. Oh, I feel a that's box the way coming. To start. But it strikes me that Richard loves pretty much everything on TV. Can he wax lyrical for a second about something that he doesn't like? The news or question time does not count. Oh, that's clever. That's <laughs> yeah, clever. A little codicil at the end. Well done, Fraser. Shut, he's closed you off there. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a. by and large, my rule is always, you know, with tweeting or, or, or anything, if you like something, talk about it. If you don't like something, don't talk about it. It's that's hard to... literally half my career, so I have no, I know. no, a, no yeah. I have no such qualms. Yeah, exactly. It's, and so I listen, think Fraser knows that. That's why. Yeah, you know what? Fraser's been very clever there. He's trying to drive a wedge between us, isn't he? He's going, Marina, you don't, you don't have any problems slagging things about that idiot. There's nothing I mean, he loves you don't everything. like on television. Uh, there's loads of things I don't like. I tend not to talk about them because it's hard to make television programs. No one's trying to make a bad program. Uh, I guess I don't like it when stuff is lazy. I don't like it on daytime TV when absolutely all every voiceover is full of puns, right? And every voiceover is full of puns because of Dave Lamb's voiceover on Come Dine With Me, which yeah. changed... Uh, date on television forever because they went oh wait we can do jokes and we can we can you know truly uh, iconic yeah but Dave Lamb writes that and with his producers at, yeah. and is really really good at it and ever since then just endless daytime TV shows which have that sort of slightly jokey voiceover and every time there's a pun they have to boom they have to hit it like like banging a drum they go oh no can you just say um uh, that is an excellent idea because it's about eggs and you go listen. If a pun works, just say it, right? If you have to go, that is an excellent idea, right? So that I cannot stand. If ever I see that, and, it, and daytime TV and often some evening shows as well, they, they when they hit those puns like that, you think that is not humour, right? Dave Lamb is funny. He's not. He'll do puns sometimes, but, you know, he'll lighten them up with actually being funny about the contestants and having, you know, a genu- genuine comic timing. So the puns in daytime television I don't like. We talked a lot about the traitors. I've just been watching the Australian Traitors series too. I, I have trouble with the casting on that because some of the least insightful people in the entire world are on that show. <laughs> and I found it quite a difficult watch at times. Traitors series one, Australia, one of the best traitors of all times. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, the host of Australian Traitors, Roger Corsa, I love. I think he's amazing. But this series, honestly, I mean, watch it because it's still the traitors and it has this great twists and turns and this, that and the other. But there's three or four contestants in that who will absolutely drive you mad. I mean, literally to the extent I was like, honestly, I don't know if I can watch the next episode. I, ca- I <laughs> cannot continue to watch these people driving this bus off this cliff. Uh, and so, yeah, listen, there's, there's, there's shows I, <laughs> that, that, that I don't love. Uh, but, uh, and there's a, there's a, do you know what I've got? This is fun. Yeah. I just, I mean, I could maybe, maybe Fraser, Fraser's changed me. I just want to say that I, we're going to draw this out of him as a, over a period of many moons. And we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll draw, we'll draw more of this out. Can of we, Richard. can we put an asterisk on Fraser's question? And just return to it every few weeks. Yes, that's fun. So Fraser, the we, perma we, question. That, the perma question, exactly that. Well, I'll find one for you as well that will that will just get under your skin. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, there's there's stuff that. But when I don't like it, I really I really get mad. Yeah. Paul Ingram and I'm sitting there going, how can they? How can this be on TV? 
That's how can they have made that decision and then still thought this was a good idea and put it on television? I get honestly, it drives me bonkers. But yeah, I'm not going to listen. Life's too short, You're not going to say it? that on air. Well, no. I'm going to try and get you to say those sort of things on air. Now, with that, we're going to go to a break. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! This is your typical radio ad while eating a Crunch Bar. This is Automatic of Auto's Used Cars. This weekend only, we're having a whale! Bring the kids. See for yourself. It is huge. Gonna make a big splash. No other dealer can say they have a whale like this. When things sound dull, turn up the fun with Crunch. Welcome back, everybody. Marino, I have a question for you, but before I do, we have some any other business. Nick Holland has been in touch. He says, here's a possibly an EastEnders doof-doof moment for you. We've talked a lot about gladiators, Bradley Walsh and Barney Walsh's son, who presented. By the way, still doing great guns on uh, on BBC One. Huge audiences still. Yeah. Uh, Nick says, Barney Walsh's mum, which I presume is Bradley Walsh's wife. Yes. Donna Darby used to be the lead cheerleader on the original Gladiators. That's cool, isn't it? The cheerleaders were called G-Force. And they're the one thing the new series seems to have done away with. Yeah. Uh, the last place you will see cheerleaders is the darts, by the way. It's the one thing they won't, they refuse to get rid of. And according to Jet, Diane Newdale, uh, Bradley Walsh first met Donna on the set of Gladiators in the 1990s. Wow. So it's a family business. Why hasn't he done a little bit saying, I met my wife on this show? Maybe he has in the interviews, but I haven't seen it. That's very cool, isn't it? Okay, very good. He met his wife, and I was about to say Barney met his mum. Yeah, but you know how it works. Yeah, that's not not how it (laughs) works. Don't spoil it, but that's not how it works. (laughs) Thank you, Nick. Uh, Marina, question for you from Ron, just one name. Why is there such a big difference in the number of episodes in a season between British shows and US shows? The answer to that mainly is smaller writing teams on British shows. Um, And we've historically had things written by one person, two person, you know, sometimes there'll be three. Almost everything on US television in comedy, drama, whatever, is written by writers' rooms and they are big. And that can sustain a 20-episode season, whereas we might have a six-episode season. In fact, in the most recent WGA strike... One of the things they were asking for was like a minimum minimum staffing in writers' rooms, which is a lot compared to anything that was on the... You know, we don't have any of that in, in the UK. Um, but it, there was an exception to it, which everyone called the Mike White clause. Now, Mike White is the guy who writes the White Lotus, and he's almost unique in American television in that he writes the whole show. And you just don't have that. They just do not have it. And Partly what they do, partly what the reason of that is, they invest a huge amount of money in these shows, and they want bang for their buck, and they want to have many, many episodes per season, particularly in the days of the old networks, and they want to continue coming back season after season. We also have a thing in. Um, it's a cultural thing as well. In this country, we have a thing where you can, you know, I've made two six episode 
series of, say, The Office. Mm. And Ricky Gervais can say, I think that was where it should end. I think we did everything we wanted to do. Now... I don't know how many seasons the US version of, which was, by the way, was brilliant, but they had many episodes per, far more than six episodes per series. And it went on for, I don't know, what would I say, nine Nine, nine seasons? Yeah, I think it's like 20 episodes Uh, times nine seasons. Yeah, and it was was absolutely brilliantly done. But you need huge amounts of writers to do that and to keep it at a good quality level. Um, And we have always culturally had things that, are brilliant, we love more than anything, and last for two seasons um, because that's when the creators want to stop them. If you're signing a, a deal for a US, you know, I'm, the various sort of development deals I've done with US television and deals for shows that have gone, gone to air, they're not saying, oh, yeah, you, you want us, us to invest huge amounts of money in this show and de- the development of it, then make it, and then you're allowed to walk off after two seasons if you don't like it. If it works and it becomes successful, you're sort of contracted to stay around. You have to have the option of staying for seven years, really, in something like comedy. Seven is the key, isn't seven it? Is you, the you key. Seven, seven is the key. Seven is the key. You're effectively signing, if it goes well, a seven-season deal on something because they want you to stay you can't just say well i think we've done everything we'd like to do with yeah. these characters but that's why season eight of any big long-running american sitcom is interesting because that's when the steve carell's leave is when donald glover leaves community yeah i was think um it's always sunny in philadelphia is amazing because they're, yeah. they're on like season 15 and they've all stuck around they're all like yeah. no this is a this is a lot of fun but that's you know the joy of finding an american sitcom you like is suddenly there are 200 episodes of it for you so if it's a community or an office or Brooklyn Nine-Nine uh, and you watch two episodes you go I love this you go well you've got your next couple of months of every night you can watch two episodes of this because it goes on and on and on it's such a joy and that yeah you're, you're quite right that but they wanted you to have that feeling because of syndication you could not syndicate a show yeah. in America i.e. rerun it unless it had 100 episodes. So you really want to get to that magic number. Mm. And then it can be rerun and it can become very successful and go even on different carriers. In the UK, we can rerun anything. We don't need to get to yeah. 100 episodes before we, we we wouldn't have a whole lot to rerun. And so that was a really big part of it. So yes, if you get into something, and they wanted you to get into it, and they wanted it to rerun for years and years and years, and they have these huge kind of behemoth shows like, I don't know, I Love Lucy or Sign whatever, films. went on forever. Yeah. yeah. And that's what they wanted. You had to get to 100 episodes or it couldn't be syndicated. And that's where the real money comes in for yeah. the creators as well. Interestingly, that's also coming back, you know, the key with Netflix and some of the other streamers is that thing of returnability, that thing of comfort watching where you know you just stick if you know anytime you're anyways think oh there's an episode of friends i will watch that and we've sort of lost that with binge watching you don't wouldn't sort of watch an episode of ozark you know and actually that's the thing they want to get back is those shows that whenever they are on you will just watch it but yeah having a big big old writing room is the way to do it and the question well why don't we do that over here if it's so insanely profitable is 19 times out of 20 those shows completely fail, and it's just yeah. we, we we've only heard we of ju- the and Friends we don't, and Fraser and yeah, we, and it, you, we don't we don't we don't spend the same amount of money. They have far more potential eyeballs. Although nowadays, when you can see everything on, you know, Derry Girls can go to Netflix mm. and just become a huge hit all over again. But imagine if there were like a hundred, hundred and fifty episodes of Derry Girls. How happy would we be? It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? If you just think, because I would spend, you know. See, I'm culturally, I think they told it, she told it brilliantly, Lisa McGee, and she did it in the way she did it, and she went out as she wanted. I'm actually, it's just different. It's just yes. different. It doesn't mean that I, I really love the US office, for instance, but I also love the UK office, and it's a it's a totally different, that that is a very good show for looking at the completely different way in which the two countries treat it. Now, now I want to watch 150 episodes of Derry Girls. <laughs> uh, uh, Ron, gosh, we, uh, good we one, expanded man. on that. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ron. Okay, here we go. We've got a question from Darren Fletcher. (laughs) 
Darren, Darren Fletcher, the football commentator, uh, yeah, or, I, the, or the former Man United midfielder. Yeah, I was. It, I, it, it could just be someone called Darren Fletcher, and it's a follow up to the. Hold blurb on a minute. Question. What if Ron we just had was Ronaldo? What? <laughs> it's been almost oh Dave Gorman, Ronaldo, Darren Fletcher. It's yes, yes, okay, okay. Blurb follow up. Darren says. You said that you don't have the time to read in order to provide a blurb when you're writing. But do you also have to stop reading anything in the same genre for fear of contaminating your work? Or is it easy to compartmentalise? Nobody wants an inadvertent plagiarism allegation. It's, it's, a, it's such a good question. And, and every writer will say something different. I mean, the key to writing is you must read all the time. Uh, you know, that's otherwise, why are you writing a book? You know, you've got to be a reader. Um what you don't want to read is something that's coming out at the same time as your book and is better than yours or something that's terrible. You don't want to read bad writing and you don't want to read writing you're jealous of. That's I think when you're in the middle of writing, after writing, read the best books in the whole world. But while you're writing, you, you it's, it's a... My brother, who you know is in Sweden, he was said that the thing is, you have to listen to music from the sixties and seventies because you can't. While you're recording, you can't listen to your contemporaries because it's too it's too much. Uh, and I I think it's the same as that. When I when I was writing the very first book, I hit upon all the Patricia Highsmith Ripley novels. Yeah, because. They're brilliant, so I'm, my brain is not getting smaller by reading them. They have a style that's sort of impossible to copy, so you can't sort of take on board in any sort of mannerisms. And uh, she's dead, so she's 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 not a rival in in, <laughs> in any way. So that that's the ideal combination. And the book I'm writing at the moment, which is going to be announced next Tuesday, I wonder if we can announce it on the podcast. I think we better. I'll actually. talk to. We don't get a podcast exclusive for that. Yeah, yeah. quite gross. I'll do, I know, but they, they, everyone wants an exclusive. That's the trouble. Oh, well, is, they is, all want a piece of you. Yeah, they? they all. Yeah. yeah. We're Let's having, cut that bit out. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Keep that. We're bit having in. a piece of it. Yeah, have a piece of that. Um, so the book I'm. Uh, writing at the moment I, I'm, I'm reading Middlemarch for the first time I've never read it before and again it's brilliant I'm not suddenly going to write like George Eliot and spoiler alert she is no longer with us so it's, it's one of those wait per- she's a woman <laughs> wait a minute George Eliot hang on a second yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so I, I don't think writers by and large read stuff that's in their own genre while they're writing they do of course straight afterwards you can go back and do it so I think you have to try and find stuff that makes you a better human being. I really feel like when I'm writing a column, if I get up early in the morning and I want to write a column about something, I just won't read, I certainly wouldn't read anyone else's yeah. column about it. And I, that's, you have a very limited, well, my deadlines give me a certain amount of time. You have a limited amount of, you know, very limited amount of time to write the column. I might write it in two or three hours. If I'm thinking of a column that someone else yeah. has written, I just don't read it because then you think, if I've, I've unfortunately replicated all the same ideas. I once actually wrote almost identical column to a friend of mine oh. about a story which, no, which was really funny and we looked at it and we were like this is such a mind meld was, both... it, uh, was, was it Marina Jekyll? <laughs> it was a friend of mine Matthew Norman and we both there's a story about some secretary who had done um, some sort of scam on her boss or whatever and we'd both written it I mean, almost word for word, via the Dolly Parton nine to five song and the movie, and it was—I mean, it was almost identical. It was really odd, um, but that was just a sort of strange occurrence. But I try. Then you can legitimately say, "I'm terribly sorry. I have not actually read your thing." Sometimes, when you're just in a hurry in your writing, if someone's put it very well, it's really hard to think so, of the slightly different way that you'd put the same thing, even if you've had that thought completely independently, which you probably have done. So I just find it much easier to not read anybody's things. Plagiarism thing is easy. You're never going to copy someone's sentence in a book. But when you're reading a great stylist, you do sometimes the next day. You know, if I'm reading John le Carre uh, and I'm thinking, oh, 
you try and work out why is he a much better writer than me? Okay, so what's what is he, what is it he's doing? Uh, and but it it sort of gets into your head, and suddenly you start the, the introduction to the next chapter that you're writing. You go, is it a bit more involved than you normally do? You're sort of describing the surroundings a bit more, and people are being a bit more shifty. You think, yeah, you were just reading John Le Carre, you idiot. <laughs> and then you, you then occasionally you sort of you you know then you have to row it back. But you know the whole point about writing is you are a collection of your influences, and so when you do read someone that you think I love the way this is written and you, you and you can roughly work out why you love it then that you take all of you that learn so much from it board. and it actually as you say it becomes a sort of adapted recipe and you all sorts of other ingredients go into it and it's part of finding your voice yeah exactly that but uh, it's it's a genuinely great question and it's something that, that writers often talk about that there are certain books it is impossible to read <laughs> when you're writing Thank you, Darren, and also great work on either the commentary or the uh, or, or the football, whichever whichever Darren Fletcher you are. Thank you so much for all your questions. That was fun. Yes, it was great. Our producers just said there's literally a warehouse full of all these questions, but please keep sending them in because they're so good. The rest is entertainment at gmail.com. And we'll be back on Tuesday with a, with an exclusive on my book if uh, if if the lawyers at Penguin allow but also what are they going to i mean what are the lawyers at penguin going to do this is i officially speaking to the lawyers at penguin now what are you are now wishing to come and get me please to the lawyers at penguin yeah i i am exactly come and sue me come and sue me and i might spend the week trying to find some more tv i i, I don't like because I, I rather enjoyed that i won't you know that i won't <laughs> i look forward to hearing about it i'll find plenty <laughs> uh we'll see you on tuesday everyone bye-bye I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Caddy Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.